Welcome today to the Mentis Podcast. Today we've got Mark Updegraff with the Updegraff Companies. He's located in Rochester, New York. He's got a lot going on. Mark, thank you for coming today. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your uh, your time, especially with, with everything you've got going on. You've got a lot of in-house, uh, kind of vertically integrated your real estate company. Uh, can you talk about how maybe you got started and how you decided to bring some of your in-house uh, property management, your maintenance, and maybe how is that giving you an edge in today's market? Sure. Uh, the ability to control what people are doing, where they're doing it, and when they're doing it is huge in real estate. Um, I'm sure you're aware that you know if you're relying on subcontractors, um, they get busy and you might not be their their best client. So you might take you know a second rung on the ladder or a third rung on the ladder. And you know we have relationships with our clients and we need to deliver. So I found early on that being able to control who does what, where, and when was going to be very beneficial to my business. You know, if I've got an emergency, I need to be able to put out that fire and let the client know that we're taking care of them and everything, you know, we've got it handled hundred percent, you know, immediately. Now, yeah, that's great. But at what point did you decide that it was okay to bring it in house? Did you start from, from scratch? Maybe give us an idea, like at what point sure. was that inflection point where you're like, okay, I... I, I need to bring it in house. And, and then you started to build those teams. Yeah. So I kind of started like you did, you know, back in 2008, I purchased my first single family home. All my friends and family thought I was nuts because of everything that was happening in the news. And, you know, I really just wanted to start putting my money to work. So I had done a lot of entrepreneurial activities before that to, to save up a little bit of money and uh, invest in something. And I, I thought real estate was really the avenue that I wanted to take. Uh, so we had a neighborhood that was pretty distressed, but you could tell it had a lot of seeds that were being planted for um, gentrification and revitalization. Uh, we had a lot of local businesses that they didn't care that there were still crack deals going on across the street. You know, that was their spot. They could get into that spot because the price was right. You know, obviously prices are going to be repressed if you got a lot of drug activity and you got a lot of crime. Um, so they planted their flags early on. I could see that because I would patron their places. We would go eat at the restaurants. We would shop at the shops. And I said, you know, I want to be part of this community. I think that over the long haul, you know, if people like them and people like me can all commit to a particular area and we've got geographical borders that can kind of isolate that area, we can start to brand it. We could lift all, we could lift the water and all the ships could rise. Uh, so I purchased my first house over in that area kind of near where a new bar was just about to open up. And I kind of had the inside scoop on that. Uh, it was a, it was previously a bar that I went to in college and it had shut down because, you know, it just got too rowdy in the location. Uh, but the new bar owner that was going to come in was more, it was an English pub and he was going to have micro drafts. And, you know, in that time period, there wasn't a lot of that going on. So I was like, this is, this could be a really good spot. Uh, so I picked up the asset. It was $55,000. I was going to school. I was working full time. And I had this property that was pretty, you know, she, the woman that sold it to me had lived in it probably for 30 years. She was a single older lady. Uh, all her kids were gone and, you know, it needed everything. It needed a bathroom, it needed a kitchen, it needed paint. Uh, so I went in and I did it myself with the help of some friends. And that was kind of my introduction into real estate. And, you know, I had tools stolen. I had subcontractors that were subpar for certain things. So I, I got a real um, quick introduction into, okay, how are we going to manage this with, you know, you're trying to save money. So you're, you can't afford to hire the best sub, subcontractors out there. 
but then you get what you pay for. So immediately I was like, okay, I can, I can do a lot of this work and I can start to, um, you know, 1099 some people that I know pretty well that are in the trades and bring them in, not as employees at first, because I wasn't ready to uh, take on the responsibility of a payroll at that point. So that's kind of how I got introduced to it. And that's kind of how I started to steer away from uh, contractors to begin with. You know, I, I considered a contractor, a con artist. I really didn't have those relationships with the more established contractors because I couldn't afford to hire them. Sure. So you, you started hiring uh, in-house property management. You have maintenance techs. Uh, now you have, yeah. you know, leasing specialist, you have accounting, and it's kind of all focused right in Rochester, New York. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I followed that path with like the one house and then get another house and then slowly build it over years. It probably wasn't until, you know, I had about, let's call it a dozen or maybe two dozen houses that I was personally managing. So I was the manager. Um, I had gotten licensed as a broker to do this. And my broker at the time, you know, I did some sales because I wanted extra capital to invest in the real estate. Um, were so you, I'm, I'm, with your broker license, were you finding deals and rolling your commissions into them as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I got the license as a broker or as a realtor and then as a broker originally because my agent didn't want to work with $50,000 houses. You know, he was more interested in selling $200,000, $300,000 houses. I get it. You know, the commission is not the same on a $50,000 house. And I knew that um, if I, this was before multiple offers and escalations, uh, I knew that if I was the early bird, I would get the worm. So I really wanted to be the early bird. And a couple of times he came through and we got some contracts before the other offers came in and we were able to keep the price low. Um, but I could feel that shift where things were getting more competitive and I really wanted to have an edge. So I, I got the license, honestly, just so I could open the door. And I told my wife at the time, you know, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring for sales. I'll try to help people buy retail houses. I'm not going to say no to it, but I've never considered myself a salesperson. So I, I thought it would be a very weird career shift. You know, I was an engineer, I was in imaging and now I'm in sales. Uh, but the feedback I got was pretty good. They all said, you know, we like that you're approaching this from a construction point of view. You're, you're educating us on what's good about this house and what's bad about this house. And a lot of times people would end up buying houses where, you know, I felt bad because I really picked them apart and said that, this is wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. And these are things that you're gonna to have to address in the future. You know, they appreciated that and they were happy that they knew that getting into the house uh, versus, you know, buying it and then finding out later. So, you know, I think I just was in the right spot at the right time to build up a nice client base. Um, and because I was on sites like Bigger Pockets, I was getting good incoming leads for investors that weren't Zillow related. So I, I had a nice influx of people that not only did they want somebody to, identify the property, help them buy it, but they also needed management. Uh, so that's when I started the management team, you know, on payroll because, you know, I had my 20 units, I was super busy brokering sales. Uh, so I actually hired an, an admin first because the paper, I hate paperwork and, you know, it has to be done with real estate or you don't get paid. So my first hire was somebody just to help me with the back end of the paperwork so I could be out on the field pushing the sales. And um, from her, you know, she had an interest in investing, her boyfriend had an interest in investing, and they started buying some properties and um, having us manage them. And then we really identified the need to really get more people in-house to do the management, or it was all going to blow up in our face because the volume was increasing quicker than we had the staff to handle it. As a real estate investor, you're not just running one company. You know, Every time 
you've got an LLC, you know, you might have one property in it. If it's a big, if it's a big property, or you might have 10, you know, in duplex, a threeplex, a fourplex, all bundled into this LLC, and you're constantly doing refinances and moving properties to different entities. And, you know, you want to pull equity out of this and you want to separate liability from that. So there's a lot of moving parts. And then you add the layer of construction, you add the layer of management, you add the layer of brokerage. And it's, it's a, you have to love accounting to, to want to jump into that role. So, you know, as you go through this whole story, I, I, yeah, I know, I know a lot of what you were saying. I think this is a a very familiar story for a lot of people who got started. Uh, They kind of get in to real estate, get their first investment. Your case, you were going down the sales route and you added management and you added in-house construction. We did a lot of the same stuff. You had a lot of the, in, you know, we, we're trying to get some of that vertical integration. We brought people in-house to do all of the renovations because we were always doing a value add. And we were trying to, you know, really make sense of this really fast growing company that we had. So you, you kind of outlining that really, I think is going to resonate with a lot of people who might have an idea of what you went through. But let's fast forward it to today. I think we took a different path several years ago, which really gave us the ability to kind of bring some uh, stabilization to the whole situation. Because in those first few years, you're just you're just going as fast as you can and probably enough organization uh, behind it, but that's just part of that new company. What did you do? Was there an inflection point? What did you do that really got you to a point where you're like, okay, this is sustainable, healthy growth that I know can can you know sustain any type of uh, downturn in the you know in, in an economy or you know uh, pivots in the market, whatever it might be. You know, I think we went the direction of larger scale apartments. Mm-hmm. Gave us the ability to hire really good people and work with quality professionals, kind of all the way from the contractor up to the accountants. And uh, you know, we took that that approach, but staying local, keeping vertically integrated. It sounds like you you went a little bit different. Get, you know, mm-hmm. what what did you learn? What was the what what are the takeaways over the last you know decade? Yeah, I think there's a critical mass that you need to manage to be able to feel good and and feel scalable, right? Until I hit that critical mass, I always felt like, you know, I'm really investing into this company to get it to this critical mass. But what was that I'm critical making... mass? Is it is it the sales? Is it is it number of units? Uh, no, the need? units, I, I tend to keep everything compartmentalized. So I don't cross profits from one company to another. So good. if we're talking about the management side, um, you know, I would say, you know, I'd have to do a, an exact calculation, but my gut is telling me it's like 250 units. Okay, those are for other people Walmart. just to get some cash flow in the door. And then- Well, I keep all my LLCs are separate and they're treated just like owners. So, okay, so... I want to feel any pain in the system. So if I've got LLC one with a property in it, that pays every, that pays the same thing that you would pay if you were hiring us as your manager. So these so, 250 units are yours? Or they're no, other- so I've got I've got units under management, and then yep. I also have clients that have brought me units over okay. the years. So as I started as the broker, you know, they would say, "Mark, we see what you're doing. We want to do the same thing." And so you're kind of I the, was the always turnkey approach. Hey, I'm going to yeah. sell you this place. I'll renovate it for you. I will then manage it for you. Yeah, and then you're you're just you know handling all aspects of that that uh, investment yeah. for investors. Okay, have you turned that over on investors? Have you said, you know what, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to uh, you know, I'm going to bring it to the table. I'm going to renovate it. I'm going to manage it. Do you want to put some money into my deals? Have you done any of that? Um, not in that exact way. I've done partnerships with people. Sure. Um, so I, I'm, I'm super nice. I like to mentor people. I like to help people. Uh, so I've never really, and, and I think I'll, I'll start moving forward. I've kind of come to this inflection point now, which is why I started listening to all these podcasts. And that's why I emailed you because I, I listened to your podcast 
um, where you were interviewed and I, I was like, okay, I need to stop what I'm doing and really refocus on what I should be doing. You had shared earlier that you're working on a new development deal. Um, you've mm -hmm. got 10 units going and it's mm -hmm. a downtown location or I, I guess a loft style apartments, three-story building. Uh, I guess it's a mixed use property. That mm -hmm. seems more like you're stepping up to the, you know, to the next level of, yeah. of investments. And it, it, how many people are involved in that? Is that your property? That's my property. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, purchased that. You know, okay. that sounds like it's a great, great deal. If you're the only, I mean, you know, sometimes you take investor money, you got to, you got to answer to different people. I mean, if you're the one in mm -hmm. control over this and you've got the expertise in the area that, I mean, these are, you start stacking these on top of each other. These are great long-term investments, I would assume. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, I've, I've finally started to pull this off. I purchased the property probably five years ago. Okay. And when I purchased it, you know, we knew we were going to move into the first floor because we were coming from like a 200 square foot office and I was jamming like five people into it. <laughs> yeah. You know, nobody wanted to go to the bathroom because it was like two close quarters. Um, so we moved out of there. We moved in. Uh, we expanded to the first floor, which is about uh, 4,000 square feet. And it's perfect. It's the perfect square footage. And then I had these two floors above me that I originally just tried to lease out as office space. And our, our downtown is so saturated with vacant office space that it, it was impossible to lease it. You know, we've got legacy companies like Kodak, Xerox, and Bosch and Loam that are all gone and they've abandoned these buildings of office space. Yeah. Well, it's um, not going to get any better. I don't think the office conversion is, is on, right. uh, you know, yeah. especially if the building can be converted. Uh, some of these yep. office complexes are going to struggle, but uh, it sounds like you have one that's like kind of that downtown feel where you can maybe convert yeah. it and still, you know, save it's like a the good roof size. the common area. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good size. I have parking. I've got 21 parking spaces, which is that's uncommon great. for our downtown. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really, really solid building. So, you know, when I bought it, I did want to develop it into apartments, but I just, I wasn't there yet financially, uh, track record wise, uh, to, to pull it off. So I, I often, I know what I want to do and I just don't know how I'm going to quite get there yet, you mm -hmm. know, financially or logistically. So that was kind of a leap of faith building that I purchased. And I'm finally now, you know, and it's, it's way overdue. Like, I wish I would have been able to do this when the rates were lower. I would have, my pro forma would be a lot better, but you know, hindsight. Um, so we're moving forward. We've closed our loan. We've got the demo completed. Uh, we expect the project will be done in a year from now. Um, as long as no, no major hurdles come up, but it seems doable. But your local connections, I'm assuming probably played a lot into how you were able to maybe get something zoned. I um, mean, are you close to the local government? Or did you get better construction pricing because you've been working with a lot of these people or you could do some of the work yourself in-house? You know, what, what are you doing to like give that project the edge? Well, we're center city. So zoning, you can do whatever you want when you're okay. center city. Um, and then as far as cost, I, I kind of feel like I'm in no man's land. You know, you've got contractors that will do smaller stuff and you've got contractors that'll do bigger stuff. But right at this you know, 16,000 square foot is, is pretty niche. Tough. There's only, yeah. yeah, there's only a few people that do it. Um, so no, I would say, you know, the way that I'm going to save money, hopefully is that we're going to put people on payroll. We, we know enough people in the trades that we, and it's a small enough project that instead of hiring a framing crew, we're going to hire framers yep. instead, you know, and we're going to buy the materials ourselves instead of having the HVAC company mark them up 10, 20%. So and it probably makes sense for you to move forward on a project like this on the other side for the management, because, 
you know, it's six, you know, 10, 16, 20 units. It's sometimes a little too small for somebody who doesn't have management. If you have to pay those fees, Are, I'm assuming that you're going to manage these and that's part of the, the upside to this deal for you. I'm going to manage them, but the fees are going to then go right to the other company management. So I still sure. keep everything compartmentalized. Uh, so it's got to make sense with the management. Regardless. regardless. Good. Yeah. good. Yeah. That, that's good. Conservative underwriting. So then what about the construction cost? I mean, obviously we've gone through, you know, craziness. We're not yeah. facing the higher interest rates. How did you uh, kind of put together your pro forma to absorb some of those interest rate increases and construction potential, uh, you know, increases? Yeah, it's just going to be more money out of my pocket to get to completion. So I think when we started the project, you know, interest rates were still a little over four. And uh, initially, I don't think I had to bring much money to the table at all. And fast so you were taking closing. basically the value of the building, you got an appraisal that was higher than what you had owed, or if you already owned it completely, you then took yep. that to the bank, and they were giving you essentially 100% of what you needed. Yeah. But now you're taking uh, a little bit more money from your own pocket to bridge the gap. So the deal as it stands today is, you know, I'll get credit for my equity of owning the building yep. of 600. And yep. then I'll have to bring another 350. So I'll be all in for 950 in equity. And then the bank will finance the, another 1.2 on Got top it. of that. And then you have 10, uh, how many bedrooms? Yep. So there'll all be one bedroom. All loft style. Okay. 10 loft style apartments, 21 parking spots. That's a pretty good deal. And you got your offices going in on the first floor. Yeah. So we're going to keep about 1500 square feet on the first floor. That'll give us two conference rooms and it'll give us what we call the agent lounge. So I'll continue to operate the sales brokerage out of that space. And I I leave it as a perk for agents. So we do a hundred percent commission model. We charge just a flat fee, no desk fee, no dues, nothing like that. So it's a place where the agents can just come make copies. They can sit down if they don't have a workspace at their home. And it's kind of like socialization. You know, I've got the, it's not cubicles. So we're all kind of like in a line around the room. And we can just talk to each other, talk about deals. Sometimes we're writing offers on the same deals. You know, we, we get into real estate and it's, it's a good, we can listen to each other's calls. I can mentor people pretty easily. So it's a space for the brokerage. And if they bring a client, I want them to have a place where they can sit down with the client in private and talk. Um, so we'll retain that. And then the basement, we're not really developing. We're going to put a small fitness center for the apartments upstairs. We'll yeah. probably put a little bit of storage and then I'll retain a little bit of it for my construction guys just to house, you know, the various things that we've got that need storage. You know, as you, as you kind of unpack this investment of yours, it really, it kind of rings true. Kind of just what I've seen in some of the other markets across the country. And that if you, if you're really focused on one particular market, being a broker in that market, you hear everything first, you know, that I think that's a really good thing for you guys to have in house. I think that's a, it's a really smart play, you know, for the folks who are kind of going in different markets, that might not be the move, but it sounds like you're, you know, you're ready to be here in Rochester for the long term, kind of continue to really build the community up. And then you add that on with your management companies, your, you know, your uh, in-house construction, you're kind of really giving yourself, you know, you're giving yourself the edge just by hearing about deals and, you know, kind of knowing things that other people, you know, if I were just to come to your market, I, I would be at a major disadvantage to you uh, if I'm playing, you know, in these, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 unit, uh, you know, type complexes. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, but I mean, Rochester's smaller than you think, you know, um, so I think you would, you would come up to the speed pretty quickly. There's only a handful of players uh, and you would meet them. You would meet them pretty quick. You know, if you started, 
go, you know, going to the steps or, or once you meet one, you'll meet another and you'll sure. get through everybody within no time. Yeah. yeah I would a, say in, I know that in Salisbury, Maryland, it's not a, not a large market, definitely tertiary market attracting capital here is difficult, but you know, the, the rising tide uh, lifts all boats. I, I agree with that statement completely. And even though you, you're still competitors, you still in a way kind of work together because you want them to do, to do the project. You're kind of rooting for them and build the area up. And I, I think it's kind of a friendly competition. In yeah. A way. And we've got a lot of different asset classes, you know, we say ABC, but I mean, I really feel like Rochester is more nuanced. It, it's really hard unless you come and you look at the properties and, and you feel the neighborhoods, but I, I can segregate, you know, different degrees of an A, different degrees of a B, different degrees of a C. So in my head, it's not ABC. It's like one through 10. It sounds like you're really, you're setting yourself up for the long term. So what's next? It sounds like you're potentially looking to bring in additional capital, but what does that look like? And was the, you know, where do you see yourself in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I like your podcast. I like what you're doing with the development. I really want to see things constructed from the ground up. I think maybe, you know, economically speaking, we're finally entering a phase where that's going to make more sense than it did in the past. You know, throughout my career, it's, it's, I've always been like, it'd be stupid not to buy existing. It's so cheap, you know, like the cost of construction versus what I can buy here in Rochester. It's, it's a no brainer. I'm going to take the stuff that's already been erected for a fraction of the cost of building it. Um, so while I want to pivot towards the development side, I still think we're kind of in that transition where there's, there's going to be a lot of existing opportunities for redevelopments. Um, so most realistically, I'll probably do a lot more, uh, value add type plays on areas that are in transition and areas that are up and coming. Um, but we're actually one of the more forward thinking cities right now where, you know, back in the seventies, a lot of cities would cut up their downtown by putting in a highway that. Uh, circle, circle the city. We've got it. If you look at a map of Rochester, there's a circle right around it and it's called the inner loop, right? And the inner loop pretty much destroyed the urban fabric going from the walking neighborhoods with, you know, the low rises into the, the downtown core by having this, you know, six, I think it's a six lane, seven lane sunken uh, interstate that circles around the, the, the downtown. Um, so we're infilling it. And we've done our first infill, and it was the section of the loop that bridges our class A with our downtown. And our downtown just got obliterated. You know, it used to be a great place to go, and we lost all those legacy companies, became a ghost town. It became an area where people are scared to go at night, and we're trying to reinvent ourselves and get ourselves back on the map. And I think this infill has been huge. So we did. Um, it was, I, I'd have to check the exact distance, but, you know, right around a mile ish, um, of new parcels that all got RFP request for proposal by the city of Rochester for developers to build new stuff from the ground up. Most of it's mixed use. Uh, we got a hotel, our science center redeveloped, you know, they got a big parcel to, you know, expand. Um, and we got, you know, probably at least 10 parcels that got erected over the last year. And it's really made a huge difference. It's it's definitely turned the tide on part of the downtown, you know, the uh, eastern side. And now we've just got state funding committed to fill in the next section, which is going to be the northern uh, northeastern quarter. And it's about six times larger than the last one that we infilled. So I think it's several miles of interstate that's going to be brought back to grade, and it's going to be all developed. So I think there's a lot of opportunity 
where I'm at right now. So I'm, I'm looking and I'm really focused on that type of, you know, I know that's going to happen. I know it's going to take time, but I'm going to be strategic about, you know, what other people are doing and buying. So I'm part of that, that uh, infrastructure. And maybe if I can get myself to that, that point in two years or whenever they have the new RFPs, maybe I'll be able to throw my hat in the ring for, for something like that. Yeah. Those, those type of, you know, like forward thinking local administrations who really are trying to focus on the downtown again. I think those are special places across the country. And what you kind of described what's going on there, you know, the, the, the people who are willing to kind of jump in, do a little bit more patient capital, kind of let these things play out over, you know, a long term, not the in and out type of type of uh, investor. I really think you're going to see some good returns on that sort of stuff as the malls kind of go away and, you know, the life comes back to the downtowns and it's the breweries and the shops and the, the apartments over the buildings again, I think you're going to see that life. We're seeing it here in Salisbury. It sounds like you guys have it, uh, you know, really in, in a forward thinking direction of, you know, you guys are headed in a forward thinking direction up there. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to watch how it plays out. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, that's interesting to to hear. Definitely a, a definitely a good, you know, little, little tidbit there i'd be interested to hear uh you know how it all turns out in about two years maybe we'll have to jump back on the phone or do another yeah. video here to kind of see how that has you know played out in in rochester yeah. yep the so. state has committed the funds for the infill so it, it's definitely gonna move forward and then the other big piece of, well two other big pieces of news that rochester got uh will be the first city in america to have a state park in our downtown which is kind of cool so we've got some some waterfalls that are going to become a state park and um, Constellation Brands, which is huge, their yep. corporate headquarters is in one of our suburbs, Victor. They announced that they're going to move their whole corporate headquarters to downtown. So the those city's the, doing this. Those are the major moves that you yeah. guys are checking a lot of boxes when you start to really bring critical mass back down, heads and beds. You know, you're really you're, you're checking all the right boxes. And I think that gets investors more and more excited, and especially the people who are like I would you know consider it a tertiary market. Some of these people who are, you know, trying to find yield in, in uh, you know, the DCs and Atlantas and uh, or, you know, Austin's or Phoenix's of the world, you know, sometimes they're not not getting what they're looking for. And I, you know, it could be a nice alternative. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've never had any reason to go anywhere else. You know, I've explored other markets and I always come back home because I think our numbers in Rochester are really kind of an anomaly. Uh, and, you know, I, I like where I live and uh, live, work, play. So. I'm I like all about it. Rochester. Yeah. So you, you're headed in the direction of kind of getting to a bigger development company. Are you going to give up all of the, you know, the existing smaller assets? Are you going to just hang on to them? Are you, what's the what's the long term play? Is it just to trade up? Are you 1031? What what are you doing to kind of keep the cash moving? I think I'll, I'll I'll set and forget those. You know? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I don't see myself as. As selling a might, you know, maybe I'll pivot and maybe I'll really need the capital or something. But at this point, I don't see myself doing that. So you've been a super successful real estate developer and now you're just uh beat up and on the beach on the weekends and drinking <laughs> no, no. beer. Yeah. You know, what are you what are you doing on a daily basis now? Uh well, I've got three kids. Uh okay. so spend a lot of time with them, uh, teaching them how to ski over the winter. Uh we do like to go to the beach in the summer, uh, do some hikes. Um, so a lot of family time when I can squeeze it in. And then otherwise I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, in charge of the three companies and I'm trying to get 
people in, in good positions where I can go away a little bit and enjoy some family time and, and know that things are going to get handled the way that I want to get them sure. handled. Yeah, no, it's not a, it's not a one year, two year, five year thing. It's, it's not even a 10 year thing. I mean, you got to get in, you got to put the work in every day for a long, long time. A lot of people think that you know, real estate is that, that passive income that they see or read about. Uh, you know, I suppose it's passive if you have uh, your money invested with, with folks who can manage it for you. But if you're really thinking about trying to be on the active side, it's uh, probably a lot more than most people realize. And I think you, you know, you're a testament to that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I still enjoy going to the steps. So I'll probably always do that. And, uh, you know, going to like the city foreclosure auctions and, you know, now you're just a real estate not, guy. You just like it all. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I just like it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, I yeah. like the, I like the network, you know, I'm friends with all the people that do it. Um, you were you thinking, you know, oh, it's going to be competitive and you're not going to like those people. Those people are actually your friends. And yeah, we do a lot of business together where, you know, one guy's on vacation and he he's not at the auction. And then, you know, we call him because we have the contract and then he does something with it anyway, or vice versa. I'm away. and He's got something. Um, so, you know, people that can close deals, they just they like to congregate together because, you know, if you are friends with a bunch of closers, then there's a lot of opportunity. You're going to make money, whether you were the person that found it or, or not, you know, everybody, there's enough meat on the bone that it can, it can help everybody. You know, it's, it's a world of abundance here is kind of how the people that I interface with all operate. And, you know, we like to bust each other's chops, but you know, it's, it's all in a good spirit. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you guys have going on, where can they reach you? Um, so I've got optograph.info and that'll link you to the three different companies. Yeah. Yeah, well, I appreciate, appreciate the, all the insight and uh, we'll so, I certainly want to circle back and hear more about what you guys have going on. And as the area continues to kind of rebuild and find its new, new, uh, new next chapter, I guess, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I look forward to following what you're doing. It's, it's amazing stuff. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Nick.